Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you doing, Scott? Really good, thank you. Um, yeah, looking forward to doing a pod, um, and just looking forward to hearing a little bit, um, a spoiler alert, but looking forward to hearing about a new technology from you. Yeah, I hope we can talk about a broad range of subjects. Today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. Both Scott and I work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we are so glad as ever to have their support with this show. So the topic, the theme of today's show, the uh, tongue-in-cheek superhero reference is masks, gloves, and cape. Mask, gloves, and cape. In any case, uh, the reference is, of course, to putting on your costume, dressing things up, and what better for that than talking about CSS, in particular, the accoutrements we use to develop our CSS. So I'm thinking of libraries, whether they're good or they are bad. Um, I'll start us off talking about one of the first times that I really thought about CSS as having a library, and that was... Uh, maybe not the first, but still, uh, using Suzy. Uh, Suzy was a, is a grid system. Um, it's since the, the creator of it has recommended to stop using it. Um, but in any case, I think we still use it quite frequently. And uh, just as an overview, it gives you um, a number of predefined classes that you can use to construct a grid, so columns and rows uh, or, uh, and, and such. Um, so you can size your thing appropriately and media queries as well. Um, Scott, what's been your experience with that? Where has it helped you? How has it sort of fallen apart at times, etc.? Firstly, it feels like kind of odd to be talking about um, something like Susie when it's like um, as though somebody coming to to web development now would be not considering using it because it is kind of um, well, it is defunct effectively. It says it's stopped being supported um, by the guys who made it, but. Um, the first time I experienced this was um, back when I was working for a company in the UK, um, and it was really the at the start of what I think of as like my journey in like, um, actual web development. I'd, I'd worked on projects before, but the need for um, for grid layouts was kind of something that had had previously passed me by, um, and so. Then, of course, there's, I remember back then there was lots of discussions about um, how to put a grid together. Um, there was people at the company who wanted to make their own grids. Um, was this the right approach? There was debates for hours. And then Susie was like the oasis in the desert. It was like, we can actually implement this with, uh, with the project and we can configure it and we don't need to have a proprietary grid that we don't all agree on, we're just going to use this. And I have to say that when we put that into a project and started using it, it kind of felt revolutionary. Um, and like it just, it seemed, I think the, the initial config, the initial getting used to it and how things actually worked with it um, took a little bit of getting used to. But then I have the feeling that it kind of became ubiquitous. It kind of became everybody was using Suzy. It was like, it was the go-to for a lot of projects. And as you mentioned, even though its um, support has been taken away from it and it's not really going to be developed anymore, thanks to advances in CSS, 
it is something that you'll still find like young developers coming into the industry today working on projects that are not even really like legacy projects but just mature projects um they would still encounter that so i think it's left a big footprint yeah definitely i mean <clears throat> the project that i just wrapped up on we had been working on for well, I'd been working on it for about a year, a little less, and the uh, other developers had been another year before that as well. That had Suzy because that was our standard. Um, and when I got in, it was fine. It worked, but it was a little, actually, I found it hard. The abstraction of what the actual grid was doing was a little too much for me. Um, when I wanted to make sure that a particular subcomponent was on that grid, <clears throat> or worse, even change the actual, like, content width and adapt the margins appropriately it, it started to get into this territory where like this is doing too much it's too much magic under the hood for me i think that's the uh, a term i use with a lot of libraries where they do abstract something away um and you don't actually see what happens it just kind of works that's magic right um for me it always had a little too much of that because i didn't understand so i took the time when i got into this project to go in and understand what was happening under the hood and like with most libraries i found there was too much that i didn't need there so i just took the bits i needed put them into my own sort of mix in in, in sas uh, and then i had a much simpler grid system based off of Susie, but that you know it required me to be a little more explicit about what i was writing percentages and stuff but it gave me greater flexibility for the project i was working on and i think that's what we'll see as a lot of legacy projects even like moment right this back over to javascript but that that's also they said we're not going to work on this anymore start to migrate over to um solutions that work better for you i still think you need a library for dates but you can take some piecemeal bits you don't have to include the whole thing if the library is not tree shakeable especially you should take piecemeal same thing can be done with css yeah, I think it's a really good point. I mean, um, I think in general, the problem with um, with uh, frameworks is that you that you do tend to find that you're going to get a lot more than you actually need. Um, and yeah, I guess that that probably is the case with Susie. I, honestly, I've never done what you just described. I've never gone into it and found, um, oh, okay, so like these are the bits that I don't need. So I'm going to take I'm going to take the the good bits, if you like, or the relevant bits. Um, I suppose it, it's all it's all good, um, just perhaps not all relevant. Um, so yeah, I, like I think that's really like to take it the way that you've done as a starting point, um, and taking a look at how you can actually uh, manipulate that for your own project and make that and make that better or make that um, less bloated um, is a really good approach. But I mean, in general, with with Susie, like I will, I found that when we started using it, that it did settle a lot of arguments. It allowed us to put a grid system into projects um, and follow like a standard. So the so every developer knew that we were using this, and so learn how to use this, um, and the layout is not going to be a problem. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that's the important part about these CSS libraries. What they usually are is a way to set a standard so that you can get up to speed developing your code much faster. And one of the first examples of this, I think, was Bootstrap, um, along with Foundation. That was another one that, that also provided a similar service. But Bootstrap is arguably more well-known, and uh, it is basically a 
I don't know, a, a set of CSS classes, pre-baked HTML, or sorry, CSS that's rendered that you can add in classes to your HTML, and then you don't have to write the styles for a card, uh, a hero uh, image, a grid or a container or um, certain widths or, or any of this sort of stuff. It's all pre-built for you, and then you just plop it in. And you can do overrides as well. The library has matured significantly over the years. You can not just customize the colors, but override a component completely or just part of it, um, set your spacings, etc. Um, but in the end, when you run your build, it then generates the CSS that you need and probably a lot of extra CSS and you have your uh, system ready to go where you can add in and, and you end up writing less CSS as a result, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Have you used that on any of your projects? I used it. I used it only once um, to do a side project. Um, experimented with it a little bit, um, but I have to say that I've always been. One thing I am always is impressed with the amount of work that goes into things like this, and the the opportunity that um, it gives to people to actually develop things like fairly quickly, um, and sometimes like fairly complex things. Um, so I have, I have been impressed by uh, Bootstrap and I used it once uh, in, a, in a side project. But for me, um, I think maybe this is because it was a few years ago, maybe things have got better, um, but it was the amount of CSS that was going into the project that I found to be the, the blocker for me. Um, you could do so much, you could have so many components, but if you weren't really, if you didn't have all of those components, I, um, I still found that it was generating like a lot of CSS, which I didn't need. And um, I think that it's okay to, how you described using Susie, where you went in and you really looked and saw the, the parts that you needed and kind of um, extrapolated those. Like, I think, to do that with, um, to do that every time for something like uh, Bootstrap would be too much of a barrier for me. Um, I think that the, the genius of things like this is for, for like prototyping, uh, for getting things up and running real, real fast, for doing proof of concepts and things like that. Like the, the speed with which you could work when you're not concerned really about like so much about the performance of something, um, you just want like quick development to, to prove that something could look good, could work. Uh, a user journey could could be what you wanted it to be, could be what the customer wanted it to be. I think that's a real bonus of something like this. But for, for to consider using it for production, I think um, the task would be harder, so to say. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can give another example. It's it's not quite Bootstrap, but there's this framework for uh, Vue called Vuetify, which um, we used for that same thing. We we were on a sort of project that, you know, it, it offers you chances to restyle. So, um, you know, you have a set of like a tab group where you have it look a certain way. You can change that enough, but the HTML and the um, JavaScript parts of it are kind of the magic, right? You you just import this component library and then you use the vtab group and you put in your tabs as vtabs as well. So so how it works is under the control of the library and you don't have functionality over. You can restyle it a little bit, make it do what you want. And that that's great at first. 
But then you start using it for as much as you can. You just instinctively say like, okay, well, I need a container. I'll use V container. I need a, um, I don't know, a card. I'll use V card. And then it comes to the bit where you want to upgrade your library to Vue 3 because that just came out. And you start looking and Vueify doesn't support Vue 3 yet. I'm sure it will. But in the meantime, we wanted to get this done and didn't want to wait. And we were stuck because we couldn't refactor. Everything was so tightly integrated with how they had set up of, of doing it. Even if we wanted to, let's say, change the way the tabs functioned somehow, we couldn't have done that. It's 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 sort of pre-baked. And then you have to reinvent it, which is hard too. So this is getting into more JavaScript for sure, but it's the same principle. Yeah, it can be really difficult when a library gives you not enough customization options to generate a small amount of code. Um, there's a toss-up between the two. I've heard that a lot. And yeah, it's easy to get burned by that. Uh yeah. yeah, yeah, for I sure, mean, for sure. I, I think that it's like a really valid example. And there's with with things like this, there, there's obviously ways that you can actually customize this and make it work in the real world. It's just that um, you kind of have to weigh up the investment of time, um, regard with against the against the the advantages of actually um, having like the prebates. Uh, code the prebate CSS in this example, but um, I mean for sure there's a place for for these things. For me, it's always I've always seen the advantage is um, the speed with which you can work. So it, it the problem of of having it sort of production ready, right? They they've addressed it, right? I mean in Bootstrap they make sure that you can only import what you need and you don't have to take everything in. They've gotten much more modular in that sense. But you still do end up with a lot of CSS because there's no kind of the CSS version of tree shaking, right? Um they just assume if you're importing a button, you need all the button classes. And it's while you can customize the colors and stuff, <clears throat> it's not always that easy. I'm not by any stretch, trying to you know poo poo uh, on Bootstrap, I think it has a place in the world and it is continuing to get better. But <clears throat> while looking into this and thinking about it, um, even like two years ago, Bootstrap offers some utility classes, and so utility CSS as a kind of global term is this concept of well, I don't want to repeat myself too frequently. I know, let's say as an example, that um, if I want to give something a um, margin uh, bottom of 10 pixels, then somewhere I will define what 10 pixels is on my like numeric scale, but then I would put just right as a class MB dash, you know, let's say five. Uh, well, that's probably too much, whatever. But you, you pick some number that represents 10 pixels. And then somewhere in your class, you say that the MB dash five class is equal to margin or is margin bottom 10 pixels. So then anywhere you write that class, you just get margin bottom 10 pixels. Um, Bootstrap has some of those. But then there was a framework that came up recently that was all those. And they encourage you to make all your CSS that. I mean, this started ages ago, right? There was, I think, one that was called Tachyons. Um, Atomic CSS in general is this concept of one class per CSS rule. Um, and the first time that I experienced that, it was horrifying. Uh, it's just like your HTML gets cluttered with classes and it, it just felt like 
overkill for when you were trying to develop a certain way. And I don't know exactly what changed, but then this framework called Tailwind came along and I gave it a chance. I saw a talk by uh, someone online and they were demoing it and I was like, okay, let's try this. And about, I don't know, two days into it, I was like, this is amazing. I wish I could use this on all of my projects. Well, I have to say, I've seen you tweeting about this and getting excited about this. Um, like, I have read a little bit about it, but I am, for all intents and purposes, uh, green to this. So would you be able to talk us through like how this works and what you found are like the real advantages? Because it seems like, I've, as I said, I've seen your tweets and I, I get the feeling that you're like um, really into this um, as a as a way of working. Yeah. Okay. So let's um, let's take like a login component as an example. Um, one of the things that you use a lot across the website, and one of the reasons that actually got me interested in it was um, I like using Flexbox for my layouts. Um, and as I was developing this login component for a standalone site, I noticed that I was writing in my CSS file in different class. Uh, groups, rule sets, I was writing display flex, um, uh, flex direction, row or column, whatever is not the default, and, uh, you know, uh, justify uh, items left or, or, sorry, flex start or something like that, right? I was repeating these same properties over and over in the CSS. And that cluttered up the CSS, it made it harder to read, and wasn't really that important to separate it. And once I was like, okay, let, let's say this utility first CSS, all of those get moved into the HTML. So I would have uh, div, which is class flex, items center, justify center, border B2, border white, padding bottom for uh, margin uh, y-axis 12. And all of a sudden, just by writing that line, which, you know, it takes a little bit, but once it gets into your head that that's the way you write things, that was all done. And once I finished redoing this login component, there was no CSS that was left because nothing of this was so specific that it, I'll put it another way. I didn't need to reuse any of this CSS, which is to say I wrote very specific CSS just for this particular layout component, etc. I'd already had it as a component. So if I re needed to reuse it, I would reuse the component, not the CSS. So this idea that we write classes so that we can reuse them didn't matter anymore. Um, and then also the CSS that comes along with it isn't opinionated. So yes, the colors are there and the initial padding, but you can override that really quickly when you set up your configuration. So you determine what PB for padding bottom four is. It doesn't have to be four pixels. It can be 12 pixels if that is what your scale is. Um, and then white could be, the actual you know, text of white could be sort of an off-white if you wanted to be that as well. But it's it's your system. It's your app that you're developing. It's not theirs, right? One of the, uh, this is, I'm talking too much, but one of the things that people <laughs> said in Bootstrap back in the day was that you could tell if it was a Bootstrap site. And that was because there were so many things to configure that you just didn't do it. And then you looked like every other Bootstrap that came out of the box. In this, it's pretty bare bones. In fact, there's a very small preset like we have on most projects that you include. There's a few helper things for layouts, and the rest of it is just 
a rule for each CSS class. So there's one class for flex, there's one for item center, one for border bottom two, um, that kind of a stuff. Again, so, so I was really, yeah. So how do you actually configure this then? How do you actually get this set up in the first place? Yeah, so um, you need to use um, post CSS um, as a loader in your process. So if you're using Webpack, you need a post CSS loader. If you already have a way to set up post CSS, you, you set it up in there and you include um, the Tailwind as part of the pipeline for your building. So uh, you do the post CSS import, you do Tailwind, and you do auto prefixer. And then you have a Tailwind config file, which lets you set up like the theme. So you can either overwrite the existing color names, or you can create a brand new one. You can change the margins and paddings and like the spacings in general. Um, and you can add other stuff like, you know, what I did in this project was I added already a default uh, font family. So instead of having to have the font names that I required written out every time I'd want it, I could just say, you know, uh, add apply font family title. Uh, and then it would just get the font that it needed to. Things like that ended up being quite helpful. The other magic of this has been, in, at least in VS Code, there is now autocomplete. So once you set this up and you have the extension for Tailwind configured, it reads your config, it knows what you've overwritten or what you've created as new, and when you start typing into your HTML, like class equals this, it gives you options of everything. So... I don't have to memorize. That was the other problem with a lot of frameworks. You have to memorize what their utility classes are called. But I start typing border and it shows me all the variations and all the colors that I could apply to that border, which really speeds things up too. Yeah, that's, that's nice. I think that's from, from what you're telling me, I think that that kind of thing is like, is going to be essential for, um, for the speed of use of something like this. So Tailwind doesn't have, um, so it's, it's more utilities. It's not, um, it doesn't have like its own components, like, uh, like bootstrap for, for instance, it doesn't have like a, a button component or a card component or anything like that. It's, it's different to that. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And that's the other thing I like as well, because when, once you, once you use one of these components that they have, you're locked into the HTML structure, right? Um, you, you, you kind of have to do it the same way they do it or the children uh, parts of that don't work. And at the end of the day, you end up not writing CSS and you have a lot less control. This, because it's all utilities, you only write the CSS you need, but you only write it in the HTML. That's like the only real difference. So you don't end up with a lot of repetition. Um, yeah, there is some of it for sure that, that goes into the HTML. That's gzipped away. And while it would have also been gzipped away in the CSS files, it is, again, it's easier to read because you're looking directly at the element in the HTML. So all your work is in the same place. It's a huge mindset shift for sure. And again, it took some while to get over the idea that this is not right somehow. I, 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 you still have to write CSS. There are going to be times where you need to do something more complex. Um, I'm going to find a specific example in front of me in my library here, but like I needed to, yeah, like there was a certain kind of button I wanted to use multiple places and I didn't want it to write uh, font bold, padding to, uh, padding top to, padding uh, horizontally uh, four, rounded, and then when you focus, outline none and give it a shadow 
Uh, and then if it's a primary button, give it this color and this text font. Like I didn't want to have to write that every single time I use a button. So yeah. I created a class specifically for that for my project. Um, but I used a special thing they have inside the CSS, which is at apply or inside your SAS uh, CSS file, S CSS files. So at apply, and then you give it the same sort of thing. So I'm using the same uh, rule sets under the hood of this to build out these classes. So if I were to change the definition of say like what uh, PX4 is, what the spacings, what four represents in that uh, thing, this would just inherit it and I wouldn't need to make any changes. And that for me is the other thing. There's a single place where you configure these important site-wide things like colors and spacings. Um, it's it's not really obfuscated and hidden and, and magic like some other places. No, that sounds really nice. Like to actually have the ability to affect everything just by changing the config file, I think that that is that is really good. I think it's it's kind of it's something that um, we've all like tried to do. Um, we've always we've always tried to use config files, right? In just in our in our SAS, um, so that we so that we have that advantage. So it's nice that you can use this uh, in combination with that as well. Uh, and it it sounds it sounds um, a really useful tool for any front end hero. So the question is, um, you've been using this for a while now. Do you think that you would push to use this um, in a in a client project? Um, like in the next six months, do you, do you think that it would take like a year? Do you think that it would depend on the type of project that you're working on? Yeah, like I, I just started in on a new project and it seems like it would be a really good place to use it, but it's, uh, I couldn't recommend it because it is meant to be, it's a component library sort of thing. So what we're building is then meant to be used by other people and you do get a bunch of lock-in, right? Uh, if you're writing your CSS this way and you want someone else to use it, they also have to use it, right? Um, I guess that's that's the benefit of doing writing your CSS inside the components, then if you do somehow share that component as a web component or something, it's done. It's locked into place. Um, so yeah, for this project, I just couldn't recommend it. But if I was starting a brand new, like, hey, make us this marketing website or whatever it is, yeah, I would. Um, on our internal projects, when we've started new things, I said, okay, we're starting this new thing. Let's use Tailwind for this on my own side projects as well. I've said, no, I'm all in on this. I'm just going to use this from now on until something better comes along, but it's pretty good. It's pretty conscientious about how it works. Um, the last thing I want to mention is the sort of tree shaking aspect of it, um, which I think bootstrap, this can be done with there, but there's a, a post CSS plugin. I think it's uh, all, runs in other ways as well called purge CSS. And what that does is, at the end of your build process, once you've generated all of the files that are going to be running, it scans through for looking for the class names that have been in this main file it's generated. So it says, okay, did you use uh, padding Y or PY2, right, anywhere? And if it can't find that anywhere in your existing HTML or JavaScript, it removes that rule from the CSS bundle. So that's super useful in particular. It provides you like media queries, responsive design things. And you end up with all of the CSS you wrote is duplicated for the number of breakpoints that you have. So 
when you first do it, if you don't have any purge CSS, that file is humongous, right? It's scarily large. But the um, the actual you know rendering uh, the, the the build process then and this purge CSS can shrink it down to like only a few kilobytes if that's all you used as far as the CSS classes go and you didn't use any breakpoints. Okay, so so that seems like a, a really like to use Tailwind. It seems like a really important step uh, for anybody yeah. who's actually thinking of using this. Yeah, it is. I mean, another trick is to don't use your media queries for all of your classes, but you don't know which ones you're going to need. And if you even have one breakpoint set, it, it'll automatically generate those classes. Same thing for hover styles, for focus styles. Um, you you'd need to turn them on for certain components or certain uh, types of classes that you use. Um, so they're not all by default, but those also balloon the file size. So having this is pretty important, this control over it. And it's a little intimidating because sometimes you get it wrong, but there is a kind of safe list uh, where you can put in ones that you don't want to uh, delete. Uh, and it makes you rethink. Uh, this is one. This is the one place where I would say I'm not totally happy, right? Uh, when you create something that's dynamic, let's say like um, the button inherits its color from, I don't know, some variable that's passed in, an input property, right? You don't know what that input property is going to be. So you write in your code, I want this to be text dash and then the color name, uh, but as a variable. Now, Purge CSS doesn't know which one you have. So it will not give you all the colors if you haven't written that manually anywhere in the CSS. So in that case, it doesn't actually work. You actually have to like safe list the colors uh, so that it will generate all the colors regardless. That's not ideal. And in, in fairness, you should have done that anyway, right? If you have a color, you're probably going to use it at some point. But still, it's it's not ideal. Instead, you would need to do like a switch statement. So you manually write out text blue, text red, text green. And then it can find it and make sure that it's not um, shaken away. Yeah, I, I take your point. I mean, it's, it's a good example. And um, I think that it's a combination of, of two things. Like one, you, yes, you, you would need to configure like a safe list. And when you're developing, realize that you're going to need to safe list something. But also um, just taking care to not write CSS, which you're not going to, isn't going to be used. Uh, I mean, like, I think it's, it's which is um, sometimes harder than, than you actually think. You might miss something. You you did need it, and now you don't need it. Um, and so it should be taken out. But, yeah, it's like a combination. Of the, if you do two things, if, you, if you're always looking at, do I actually need this um, when you're writing it uh, or, or refactoring or anything like that, but with the safe list as well, I think you should be in a pretty good position. I don't know. I, for some... It, I guess it's the biggest thing that makes it feel empowering. So it's the autocomplete so that you don't have to continually go and look things up um, because, you know, there is a difference. You, you've memorized instinctively over time. You've memorized all of the rule sets, display, colon, flex, display, colon, inline, flex. You know, the dev tools helps with that as well. Um, but having that in the H not having that in the HTML and on top of that, those are all translated into someone chose a name for it. It's not display flex, right? It's flex. It's not um, margin zero auto. It's MX auto, you know, something like that. Uh -huh. um, 
having that as autocomplete makes it flow naturally. You sometimes have to guess a little bit, but since you have the list that comes up when you start typing or the you know autocomplete there, it makes it really easy. And then the other thing is being in the HTML where you're saying, okay, well, now I need a child element here that is going to be sort of positioned here and it needs to grow, flex grow zero or something like that. You just write that as you're creating that HTML element in the class name. So your 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 creation and styling is just done hand in hand. That is really actually impressive and it feels really good. And you're done with things way much way faster than you think. Anyway, I definitely am a bit of a fanboy at this stage. We'll see as I use it long term what the side effects are, but I know it's it's going well so far. Yeah, yeah, you've you've convinced me. I'm I'm keen to I'm keen to take a look at it. I have a little project coming up as well, uh, so it could be a good opportunity to to take a look at this. Um, I think yeah, it sounds it sounds really good. It sounds and if development can get faster, uh, but your the output is still um, is still small um, or at least like only what you need it to be, which it sounds like it can be. Then um, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure other people will as well. It's good to try these things. Yeah, absolutely. With anything, it's good to try. Um, I was surprised. If, for example, we are moving over this internal project to Vue 3, and I hadn't, I hadn't really come back to Vue in a while. I'd been using Angular, and you know, I'd done Vue in the past. I did like it, but I wasn't as fast. And in Angular, I was pretty fast. Um, but coming to Vue 3 with its composition API, I was like, oh, I actually enjoy this. I'm pretty fast at this. Okay, that might have just been because I learned JavaScript better in the meantime, but it's good to try these new things um, and then keep yourself fresh. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's nice to have like new projects to, to work on and get the opportunity. I mean, there's always opportunity with front-end. There's always, you can always do something new. The, uh, the we're, we're getting closer to the end, but the last thing I wanted to touch on is um, you don't always need anything right? Um, for a while, we used Suzy and Bootstrap to cover our grid systems. But now in the evergreen browsers, at least, uh, if you don't have to support older ones, you can use CSS grid. It's part of the spec. It's in the process now. And while that is maybe a little... Uh, hard to pick up. So was Flexbox back in the day. And people that have learned that now just use it instinctively. Grid, I think, will eventually become the same thing. So, you know, have you used Grid yet? I totally, well, I just I'd say I totally agree. I think that like, you don't always need these things. Um, and the reasons that we did we did need them before was because we didn't have the capabilities for this. Um, in a project, I've not actually used Grid. Um, but I have learned about it, and I have taught some uh, classes uh, about Grid uh, in uh, the academy that um, we run once a year. Um, been very impressed with it. Um, I think that Grid, in combination with Flexbox, does all the things that we've always wanted to be able to do. Basically, mm -hmm. uh, the things that we've like always used other tools for. Um, uh, are now available for for us like, just directly from the browser, um, and I think that I would I would definitely urge people to take a look uh, and to actually become familiar with uh, become familiar with Grid. The reason that I haven't actually gone down that route is because um, I am 
still mainly working on a project which requires support from uh, IE11. And I think, and it's a, a legacy project. And I think that they, there becomes a point where um, to switch over would be a huge task um, and perhaps not the best use of people's time. But the tools are definitely there now. Um, and we become more and more aware of them um, as time goes on. Uh, lots of talk on Twitter, lots of, um, lots of talk in conferences, things like that, where this information comes out um, and we become aware of like, the things that we can actually do with it. And I have to say, the younger generation of people coming along now, they, these are the tools that are always, they, they would just be your go-to because this is exactly like they're, they're available. Why would you use anything else? It's only for people who've been in the industry a little longer, like myself and, and you, uh, where we would actually remember the old ways of doing things. Like I think they'll just fade away um, and the native support will, uh, will gain the traction that it deserves. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I've used it on... Uh, so in, in the project I was working on previously where we had been working on it for a number of years and we're using Suzy, at a certain stage, the uh, client dropped support for uh, IE11, which is great. And I started using, at least in the uh, the new parts of the project, CSS variables um, or custom properties and and grid, but I didn't redo the whole thing. So I didn't like replace the grid system entirely because it was working and I didn't want to mess with it. And until subgrid is implemented, it's not always that useful uh, for larger layout for me. I find myself using it more for inside components just when I say, okay, look, in the space that's available here, let's set up a little mini grid. And I honestly, I don't even always use it for rows. I mostly use it for columns. And when I want things to lay on top of each other and I don't want to use float <laughs> because I want the heights to remain consistent. Um, and it, just in small ways, I'm just starting to sprinkle it in because again, I don't know the full syntax. I'm not doing grid areas. I'm not, there's a lot of shorthand as well, which in some ways is nice, but also is a lot. <laughs> um, and so there's four ways to do it. Uh, it starts to feel like, you know, software engineering. Um <laughs> In any case, it's cool. It does work. And the more you sprinkle these things in, the, the the better you'll get at them over time. You'll find what works for you and how you prefer to use it. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think that um, the way that Flexbox has been taken up uh, is, a, is an example of like just the, the mindset shift. Um, gradually it creeps in and creeps in. And now like we just use Flex all the time. Um, yeah. You you know for for laying out components, it's just it was a revelation to be honest. As soon as we could actually use that, and um, you could actually position things the way that you instinctively wanted to, um, and I think that like gradually grid will come in uh, in the same way. Um, I already see that there's some like with, with the uh, dev tools in Firefox, for instance, with the um, the support for grid um, is just makes things really. Uh, really nice to develop with. And I think that I saw on Twitter um, not long ago that DevTools in Chrome was going to have um, similar support. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think like the the opportunity to use it and become really uh, accustomed to it is just around the corner. Yeah, for sure. And I would make a call out as well to uh, custom properties here because I started using those. And 
you know, you think that it's just SaaS, but it's not. There's more you can do with it. And there's some really interesting use cases. So maybe we'll spend another show just talking about that. Yeah, we definitely should. Yeah. That. They, they, like, I just wanted to say then that they're, like, I've touched on their custom properties and been really, really impressed with them. I think um, when you when the penny actually drops that, oh, this isn't like just adding another variable like in your SaaS. This isn't, it, it's more than this. Um, yeah. The ability to manipulate your layouts um, with this, um, when the penny drops, like, oh, wow, that is really impressive. Like, I want to start using those. So definitely, yeah, we should, we should perhaps take a look at those in the future. Good. So as we start to wrap up, in um, we want to go back to our uh, regular segment now, True Heroes. In this segment, we want to highlight a few of the true front-end heroes that are working across the planet and to thank them for all that they do. So, Scott, you had a recommendation this time around. Yeah, I did, uh, and it fits in um, with the CSS theme that we've had this uh, this time around. Um, I'd like to give a shout-out to Rachel Andrew. Um, now, Rachel is somebody who came and actually talked at a conference which... Um, which Netcentric ran um, a few years ago. Uh, and I think she talked about CSS Grid. Um, and it was the, to be honest, that was the first introduction that I had um, to this. Um, I was hugely impressed with her. She spoke so well and um, followed her on Twitter. She's, she is constantly, um, she's constantly speaking somewhere, um, constantly providing knowledge, constantly uh, updating content, pushing it out to the community. She does a lot of work to develop standards. Um, she's just somebody who is always doing, always um, available for the community, always working for the community and trying to make things better. Um, and it seems to me, I don't know her personally, but it seems to me that she has such a passion for this um, that she is definitely somebody who is always worth listening to. If you see her, uh, listed to speak at a conference, then you know that you're going to take something from that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to Rachel Andrew as a true front end hero. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant pick. I mean, again, at our our company summit, she came and gave a talk on Grid, kind of a few weeks before it was released, I think. And uh, there was two things that struck me. One was that. Yes, the talk was excellent and was explained to us in a way that made us understand what we were missing out by not having it. And two, that someone could actually go into the CSS working group and push this forward. So this had been in spec for quite a while, but she took her time and made sure that all the questions were answered and got it to a point where the browsers could start to implement it. Um, you know, for example, the reason that IE11 support for Grid is kind of there is because it had been in the spec phase for a while, but now it became a standard and it was like, okay, now it's recommended to implement and they did it like Firefox and Chrome and the rest. So that was also very empowering to realize that this is something in your career that you can do, especially the more knowledge you have, the more you experience you have, and you can see what people are missing in the language, you can push it forward. And you see that with, uh, you know, uh, Una Kravitz and a few others that are pushing forward um, uh, these standards and, and changing the way their uh, browsers actually implement them. The, the other thing uh, I wanted to mention is that, yeah, she's also super clever because she's now editor-in-chief of Smashing Magazine. Um, she sort of took over, I don't know, a year or two ago from Vitaly uh, Friedman there. And also, again, providing the community with the knowledge that uh, it needs to push forward. So 
definitely true hero within the space and well done calling her out. So uh, any proper hero is also a well-rounded one. And we, as usual, want to share some of our musical picks. So Scott, what is the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? I found that I'm listening to an awful lot of piano music at the moment. Um, I think, I, I think lock, the end of lockdown and um, this whole period has, has needed me to like, get some kind of um, like pieced out like Zen uh, listening in. So I've been listening to an album, uh, it's a mini album uh, called Summer Songs by a guy called David Bengren. Um just stumbled upon him uh, on Spotify, um, but honestly, like just exactly what I need at the moment when I'm when I'm working, just super chilled out, um, just piano, nice, some very nice piano music, um, no no vocals or anything like that, um, but it's kind of just really like helping me to ease back into like what I would consider fairly normal living. So yeah, I would um, I would shout out to him. What about you? Great. Yeah. From my side, it's a bit on the older side, but I do return to it frequently. Uh, the group is uh, Hidden Orchestra. Um, I would just tell you, start with the first album, um, Archipelago. And uh, I'm reading through the bio, and Hidden Orchestra is actually mostly one guy uh, who does all of the kind of producing, recording, etc. But he brings in different guest musicians from the tracks, gets them to record their bit, and then mixes it all together. So it's not really a full band. Um, it's more of a thing. And But uh, I don't know how to uh, explain it. When you listen to it, it is really, I don't know, it's it's fascinating sound, complex drum rhythms. It's It's jazzy and... Uh, a certain way but it's also very i don't know it has a certain mood to it it's very hard to explain like most of the picks i have but it's really really enjoyable i think archipelago is their second album actually their first one as well either one i'll put in the show notes um worth checking out so that's from my side cool Cool. So it looks like that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you should like, heart, star us, and your podcatcher of choice. These reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content. Um, we could use some more. So if you like it, please do so. Please, the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episodes, or if you just want to yell at us because Bootstrap does something we didn't think it did, send a tweet to us at Heroes Frontend. We'll add it to our list. And until next time, heroes, remember, with great front-end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.